Welcome to the Business Bitcoinization Show, the show dedicated to helping you enrich your life and grow your business with Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth. I'm your host, Josh Friedemann, and our guest today is Andy Schoonover, who's the CEO of CrowdHealth, which is revolutionizing the way people pay for healthcare. I'm sure you have a lot of questions about how he's doing that, and we'll get to that a little bit more right after this. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you a little bit better and give us some insight for our own lives. So you ready for these? Bring it on. All right. When and how did you first learn about Bitcoin? Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of a hard story because I, I learned of Bitcoin, I think, you know, eight or nine years ago in the very, very be- beginning, not the very beginning, but pre- pretty close to the beginning. And um, I remember telling one of my good friends, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to put $10,000 into this new monetary thing that nobody really truly understands. Um, but, you know, it's a $10,000 flyer. And I think I think Bitcoin was at like 100 bucks or something. It was somewhere between 100 and 1,000. And he talked me out. I was like, this is dumb. This is not going to work, you know. And here we are at, what, you know, 39,000 today or whatever. And uh, I'm like, oh. If I had only, and I know that, you know, people listening to this, I think probably lots of folks have the same story. It's like, man, if I had only gotten in, you know, when I first saw this as, as being a good idea, um, I kind of went on my my life doing doing a bunch of healthcare stuff and hadn't gotten kind of reacquainted with Bitcoin until, I don't know, probably a year ago. Um, and I was sitting at lunch with a guy, uh, Jimmy Song, who many Bitcoiners know, Um and he, uh, as he says, orange pilled me. So I'm I'm about a year into this this Bitcoin journey, um, but uh, it's been it's been fun to get to know the the folks. And I think the most interesting thing to me is like the community around around Bitcoin. You know, for a group of of people who talk a lot about being sovereign individuals, um, it is pretty fantastic to see just the strong community of of Bitcoiners. So they have welcomed me in and given me grace and been. Um, just, you know, totally up for educating me on, on what Bitcoin is and how it works and, and, you know, why it will stand the, the test of time. The next question is, what's an insight or fact about Bitcoin that you wish everyone understood? Yeah, I, I think that for me, I, I was a little bit scared of it because I just didn't understand. Um, and I thought going in, if, you know, we're, we're always just as human beings, uh, a little bit fearful of asking dumb questions. Um, and so I think people who want to get into Bitcoin are going to find a community of people, like I just mentioned, that are just very willing to, and, and excited to, to be teachers. You know, my grandpa always used to tell me there, there are um, times to be the teacher and times to be the student, you know, and mm-hmm. some of us, especially who are, you know, older, um, have, have a tough time being students sometimes, but... Um, man, the Bitcoin community is incredible at answering questions and just being being willing to to uh, to educate. So it is is not nearly as scary as as you know one one would think it is. Kind of looking from the outside in. And I know you said you're pretty new to Bitcoin, but maybe because of that, this question will be even more helpful to people who are just starting to learn. And that is, what is the resource that you most recommend to other people when they're interested in learning about Bitcoin? Yeah. 
I mean, you know, I, I went and I, I went on Amazon and I just put the basics of Bitcoin <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because I wanted to, to at least have some kind of foundation. And so, you know, there's a bunch of books on Amazon for, you know, the basics of Bitcoin. Um, you know, there's a, a bunch of, of podcasts that are, you know, Bitcoin Bitcoin friendly like this one. You know, listen to a podcast like like this one to learn the the, the basics. Um, and then, like I said, you know, you can reach out. Twitter is kind of the place where I feel like a lot of Bitcoiners hang out. Um, you know, I, I think you could go on Twitter and find somebody who looks to be knowledgeable in this space and just reach out to him and be like, hey, you know, I got a question. And, you know, my my bet would be that they would they would answer that with without hesitation. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's so many resources nowadays. I think, you know. Elon Musk, I think, recently said something like, "There's, there's nothing you can't learn for free on YouTube," <laughs> and I think that's 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 the case, right? And so, my my recommendation is go to YouTube and and really try to decide for yourself. I mean, there's a lot of of crypto options out there, um, but I think it's worthwhile to hear somebody, you know, make the case kind of uh, for Bitcoin apologetics, if you will, because I think there's a, a great case to be made for. You know, Bitcoin truly being the, the the future of of the monetary system, and not some of these other crypto related uh, coins out there. And I'm I'm super thankful because I I am fairly recent to Bitcoin as well, and I was so thankful for coming in, having so many great pieces of content, great resources, suggesting why Bitcoin is in a class of its own and mm-hmm. probably the only way to go in my opinion the only way to go sure. so i i'm i'm really thankful for that because back in the day it, depending on when you entered in all sorts of other things were out there and today i guess it's even more true mm. than it's ever been there's so many other possibilities out there but bitcoin is in a class of its own and that's the the sooner you figure that out the better it is for you usually yeah agreed question number four is this beyond bitcoin what's a resource or an idea that's been valuable to you or your business recently yeah, you know, um, it's a good question. And I think the idea that I'm kind of um, bouncing around in my head, and, and this is probably an unconventional one uh, for, for you know, the people that you have on your show, but I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, I, I got a small family or, you know, a, a family with small kids. Um, I have about a five-year-old and a three-year-old and, you know, a, a wife who likes me around, thank God. Um, and a, a startup, um, which is, you know, another child of mine, right? And so I think the, a, a lot of the things that people deal with when, um, you know, they, they, they do a startup is how do, you, how do you balance that time between family and, and startup? Because it, it is very, very easy to get totally engaged in what we're doing um, because we can't, we're just fired up about it. Um, and oftentimes more fired up about our business than fired up about going home and dealing with a three and a five-year-old who are kind of being three and five-year-olds, right? And so, you know, for me, the idea here is like, how do you scale your time more effectively? Um, and the, the two things that I kind of lean on is, um, as just a business owner is, um, you know, how do you get to that 80% rule? You know, we, we, we like to say that, uh, you know, 80% is good enough to move on. Right, like that remaining twenty percent takes so much time um, and is not nearly as valuable as that first eighty percent. So if we can get something to eighty percent, we go, um, and then we will iterate along the way. So that's one um, that saves me a bunch of time uh, it, it, at at work, so that I can get home with my family. Second is, um, you know, don't be a control freak. Um, if you have to be involved in every decision that is made. 
that's going to take a ton of your time. Um, and so if you can, can really delegate to people um, and find a really good team and be comfortable with the, the decisions that your team makes, um, I think it just opens up so much time. And I truly believe that my best ideas come when I'm walking my dog or playing with my kids in the backyard or wherever it is. It's somewhere outside of the four walls of the office. And so probably not the direction you thought I'd go with that, but it's just, it is, it is in my mind constantly as, as a, you know, a, a husband, a, a father and a business owner. It's something that, that a lot of us, I feel like struggle with. I keep the questions open-ended because you never know what you're going to get. And uh, I think business owners, people who are using their time well, people who are maxed out, they're, they're looking for how to get that edge. And so if they can hear one thing from one person in one random podcast episode that can help them out, that could be it. So here's the final question. The final question we call our arbitrary but insightful question, and it's this. <laughs> As a general life principle, general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Man, you know, I it's a great question. Simon Sinek, you know, is the kind of, master of asking why right and 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 always to be the contrarian i'm going to go with why not um is is the more important one um i think so many businesses i know my business um was the result of a lot of people being like there's no way that can happen right there's no chance that you can build something like that and so my my response is always why not you know, why not? Why can't it happen? Why not? Um, and so, you know, I'm going to go with why not? Um, because I, 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 I think we have a lot of, of critics, you know, from the outside kind of looking in and saying, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. You kind of look at some of the incredible innovations over the last, you know, decade. Um, and, I, and I think a lot of people are kind of responded, why not? You know, so I, I'm going to go with why not? Perfect. All right. Well, Andy, I'm excited to talk to you about crowd health today. Sure. You are trying to change the way that people are paying for healthcare. Mm-hmm. I have listened to some other interviews out there with you. And if this resonates with people today, uh, I would encourage people to look up Andy's name and hear a little bit more about crowd health. Today, we're going to be looking at it, uh, at least to some degree, how it connects to Bitcoin. But mm-hmm. but mainly, I think it's such a unique idea how, how to pay for healthcare in, in a way that doesn't essentially uh, break people's banks. And mm-hmm. to the point of its relevance, I was talking with a friend the other day who's a CFO of a nonprofit. And as soon as I mentioned this, he wanted to, he was asking questions that I didn't have answers for. But hopefully, we'll get some of those answers from you today. A little bit about crowd health and how it came about the problems that you're trying to fix with crowd health. Sure. Yeah, this is my second run at healthcare. My first one uh, ended uh, in uh, 2014. I sold sold the company to a private equity firm, and I stuck around for a couple of years. Rolled off of that, and um, like many Americans, I had my healthcare through my my, uh, my my company. And so I, given I rolled off of the company, I didn't have healthcare anymore. Uh, so I went over to healthcare.gov, thinking that was the only option. And got a plan from me, my wife, and my two kids. Uh, it was twelve hundred bucks, and um, I kind of joke uh, it worked until I had to use it. Um, my my little one, who was one at the time, was having a recurring ear infection, so we went to the ear, nose, and throat doc, who told us that she needed tubes in her ears. So we went to the hospital, fifteen minute procedure, got tubes in her ears, and the uh, the bill was eight thousand dollars. And I'm like. Wow, eight thousand dollars for fifteen minutes, and you know people wonder why our healthcare system is broken. Um, it was just egregious, and I was like, okay, well at least I have health insurance. You know they'll pay for this. Well, um, my health insurance provider came back and said it was medically unnecessary, and so they denied the claim. And I'm like, what? Hold on a second. My ear, nose, and throat told me 
that this would cure her ears. And by the way, it did cure her ears. She didn't have any recurring ear infections after that. And you're telling me it's medically unnecessary. And so um, I had to stroke an $8,000 check to the local hospital and I was ticked. Uh, so I was like, all right, I, I'm going to quit. I'm not doing any health insurance anymore. My family and I have been uninsured for the last almost two and a half years now um, and have built some tools around, you know, how do we viably operate outside of, of health insurance? Um, and, and as I was mentioned, you know, earlier, people are like, oh, you can't operate outside of health insurance. And my response is like, why not? Let's figure it out. Um, and so Crowd Health was started uh, a year ago, actually our birthday was last week, um, to really give people an alternative way to pay for their healthcare expenses outside of health insurance. And it's 50% less costly, and I can tell, talk about why. Um, and it's way easier to use, you know, no doctor's networks, no deductibles, none of that crazy stuff that you have with health insurance. And it's worked really, really well. Um, so I was sitting down with, again, Jimmy Song, um, and he's like, man, you know, what would be awesome is the problem we have with health insurance is you're sticking money into a, a pool of, of dollars that's declining in value. And so what if you actually could hold Bitcoin in a decentralized risk pool as opposed to dollars in a centralized risk pool? Um, I said, great idea. Let's figure out how to do this. And so we're going to be launching the, the, the service kind of using Bitcoin as the, the fuel to do this probably in the next 90 days. Um, and you know, I can talk about kind of how the mechanics of all this, you know, work, but it's, it's in essence, you are putting money into an account um, that is owned by you. Um, part of it's going to be kept in cash. The rest of it's going to be converted to Bitcoin. We're using a, a provider that um, most of the people on this podcast will know. It's a Bitcoin only provider to help us do this. I don't know. We'll, we'll let you know more about who that is probably in the next 30 days, but it really does give you a access to healthcare at a significantly less cost. And if that Bitcoin that you have in your, you know, your wallet um, goes up in value, that's yours. That's yours to keep. It's not an insurance company's, um, you know, the keys are in your name. Um, and so that's a really kind of important piece of this. So there are multiple things you said here that are worth digging into a little bit. First of all, I, I think it, before we get to the Bitcoin side of things, I think it'd be interesting to know, you mentioned that healthcare could cost up to 50% less. So maybe speak to that a little bit, what you can do. I, I feel like it's almost a, you know, a double value proposition for people who really are into Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. You have Bitcoin involved here, and plus it's just kind of a better way of uh, approaching things. So maybe talk about the 50% less side of things, and also maybe how you're differentiated slightly. So someone might hear this and be like, this sounds like just kind of a, a medical uh, payment sharing service. So how is it different? And then also, how can you save some money with your approach? Yeah, let me start with how do you save some money? I mean, it's interesting. People are, are really like confused by why healthcare is so high, right? Especially we pay twice as much per capita as any other country in that country, Switzerland. And then it's like three times per capita, the next, you know, the next one on the list. Um, and so our system is set up so that the um, buyers of healthcare, which right now are health plans, and the sellers of healthcare, which is more and more hospital systems, both have an incentive for prices to go up. Um, you know, the big lie in healthcare is that your health plans are negotiating on your behalf, and that's not actually the case. Um, so there was a in Obamacare, so I don't know, 10 years ago, um, they put in a part of that legislation that says health plans can only 
profit 15% of your premiums, right? And from the outside looking in, you know, that's like, oh, that's great. Like they can't, you know, fleece us with 30% profit margins or whatever. But if you think about it, these health plans are for-profit entities. So if you have a $1,000 premium, they can only make $150. So uh, how do they make more money? Your premium has to go up. So, you know, at at uh, $1,000, it's $150 worth of profit. At $1,100, it's $165 worth of profit. And so they actually have an incentive for your premiums to continue to go up. And that's a perverse incentive. They are not acting on our best interest. So that's why healthcare is is so expensive. And so they don't negotiate with the local hospital systems to the extent that they should. Um, and therefore, folks like me and you can go into the hospital system and actually um, get better prices than the health plans. So right now we're getting about 50% discounts to what health plans are paying for any kind of large surgery. Give you a quick example. We had a, a member in Wisconsin who... Um, their local hospital um, was getting paid about $86,000 for this procedure that they needed um, from the, the, local, the health plan in their area. We found another hospital close to their home that would do it for $44,000. So it just went from eighty six dollars to forty four, dollars right, just because we went and shopped around. We found another hospital that was uh, in Oklahoma City, so 1,000 miles away, that was $22,000. So we have a price that is about you know twenty or seventy five percent less, a thousand miles away, and so that's how crazy our healthcare pricing structure is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and funny enough, we you know get got them two first class tickets to Oklahoma City. We put them up in the nicest hotel in Oklahoma, and you know and and they got their surgery, and they they, they still saved you know fifty thousand dollars as a result of that. So. In essence, you know, if you can you can pay with cash um, and don't have to go through the health plan, doctors are willing to give you substantial discounts for doing that. So, I think that answered your one question: is like why you know why can we save so much? It's primarily yeah. because doctors and health systems don't like to bill health plans because they're hard to bill, and the health insurance plans can't really negotiate with the hospital systems, or they don't negotiate with the hospital systems, and so the prices are way inflated. I'm curious how you think about this when it comes to the the model of of crowd health. Do you see this as reforming the insurance system over time or doing away with it? Like, is this a new way of doing things where insurance is no longer necessary, or will this eventually change the value proposition of insurance for consumers? Yeah, I mean, I think our vision is a post insurance society. I think there are too many perverse incentives within the insurance space for it to be a viable long term option to our healthcare needs. So ultimately, what's going to happen is it's going to get so bad that everybody's going to look at it and says, well, I, we, we should just have the government take it over, right? Like that's the only viable option. It's going to be the government's going to take it over and these private companies are going to be administrators, you know, so, similar to the way they're doing for Medicare now, you know, and I think that's a really bad option. Um, I think for several reasons and we can get into them if you want to, but um, I think that's a bad option. And I think our option is much better cost, um, again, takes takes the insurance company out of the middle of the, the patient-doctor relationship, which right now, I mean, if you walk into your doctor's office, you might as well have a you know an insurance auditor sitting there in the room with you, you know, listening to the conversation because they ultimately 
decide whether you can or get can't get the care that you need. And that just is appalling to me. So maybe the next direction to go, and this is kind of the, the question I asked a little bit earlier as the part two, is how do you differentiate yourself from other companies who are doing similar things sure. besides the Bitcoin piece? Because that will be where we go next. Yeah, sure. So um, when we talk about the mechanics of how this works, I think it'll highlight that the answer to the question. So our members every month have a uh, submit money dollars right now into a bank account. The bank account is theirs. Um, it's opened up when they join CrowdHealth. Um, and then they use the money in that bank account to help others in the community when they have a big health event. So let's just use my EarTube example. Um, you know, I would get a bill for $8,000 for my, my daughter's EarTubes. CrowdHealth would actually negotiate that on my behalf with the hospital. And typically, we can get those down by about 50%. So that 8,000 would go down to 4,000. Schoonovers would be, be charged with 500, paying the first 500. And then the rest, the 3,500, would be then submitted to the community and say, hey, community, will you help the Schoonovers pay for their health bill? And this is more like crowdfunding. Um, so what we literally, we asked you, you can give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I'm interested in helping the Schoonovers or I'm not interested in helping the Schoonovers. It's totally voluntary. Um, and so, and if somebody says no, we'll just ask the next person and, you know, we'll finally get it crowdfunded. That money is then transferred over to the Schoonovers uh, bank account. I now have enough money to pay the hospital for that bill. The question then is like, okay, so why would I give money to the Schoonovers for their daughter's ear tubes, right? One primary reason is um, we actually have a reputation score internally. So if I continue to ask Andy um, or Josh for money, right, to help, and Andy or Josh say no, 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 we actually have that um, when you ask for a health event, right? So if you were to come to us and say, hey, I need help with a big expense that I have. And I look at you and you say, wait a second, you, you said no 80% of the time. So why would I give somebody to money to somebody in the community who's not a good member of the community? So it's a reputation score, you know, not too dissimilar from, you know, Amazon or eBay or whatever, right? You're going to, you're going to um, support those who have really good reputations in the, in the community. So that keeps people from, you know, being Scrooges. Um, so that reciprocity engine is what really drives this. And that's very different than health insurance plans, clearly. Um, it's way different than health shares that some people are familiar with. Um, health shares basically allocate it to you and say, hey, here's your person, you know, pay them. Um, or, you know, we will automatically do it internally. Um, few health shares have your own account. Here's one other big difference. If you leave CrowdHealth and you have money in your account, it's your account. It's your money. You take it with you. We have an exit fee to close out that account and stuff, but that's your money. Um, we, we never touch it. We never take it. It's always in your control. And so that's a really big differentiator too between us and, and the health shares. Now, maybe if you can go into a little bit more about how the Bitcoin part plays into all of this, mm -hmm. what you're looking to do, maybe long-term how this this plays out. Yeah, sure. And so, um, you know, the idea here is that you know, these big health insurance plans are, are keeping this, like I said, pool of risk. It's sitting there in dollars and it's just in case for the big stuff, right? Um, and that, that pool of money, like literally, I mean, it doesn't get any return. Any return on that money oftentimes goes to the insurance plan. Like they take that, you know, money as, as profit. 
Um, so what we are thinking here is saying, hey, what if you could contribute dollars into an account? Um, a part of those dollars are converted to Bitcoin and they just sit there in your wallet, right? Just in case. We all think Bitcoin is going up, right? So any appreciation of that Bitcoin, you own. Like you get that. That's 100% yours, 0% mine. I don't take any of that, mm-hmm. right? The other allocation is in dollars because I don't want you to sell your Bitcoin unless you really, really have to, right? There's tax consequences of it. Nobody wants to sell their Bitcoin. You know, Michael Saylor stood up in front of Bitcoin 22 and said, don't sell your Bitcoin, right? So we're, we're trying to keep people from having to sell their Bitcoin unless there's you know, something big that happens. And so the money that, that is in your account in dollars, you can then transfer between people to help them with their big accounts. The Bitcoin sits there just in case it appreciates over time. 100% of that is, is yours when you leave. And so that's what we're doing. It's the same infrastructure that we're currently using, the same processes. We're just allowing you to hold the, the capital that you have in your account in Bitcoin as opposed to fiat. And that's, that's ultimately the difference. One other quick difference, and I think this is kind of an important one, which is you're going to be in a group of people who are only Bitcoiners. So you will only be funding other Bitcoiners' health expenses. Mm. And so that affinity group is going to kind of be tied together. And we think because of that, people will take a lot more um, care in in the health care that they consume. Um, you know, it's easy to consume a bunch of healthcare when you don't know the person who on the other side who's getting impacted by this. Um, but you know that the people getting impacted by your healthcare decisions are other Bitcoiners. And so we think that people will behave differently when that's the case. And plus, Bitcoiners, I don't know if you're at Bitcoin 22, but they are young. They're generally healthier than the population, you know, and so it's a pretty healthy group of folks to be, you know, uh, you know, funding their healthcare expenses. So we think there's some some benefits there too. Yeah, I was, I was actually writing a note about that with that low time preference thinking that Bitcoin tends to increase in people. Do you have any idea how healthy the people who are part of Crowd Health are? Yeah, we, we um, one, we just ask them, are you super healthy or not healthy? And so you have to be like, okay, are you, people are going to really be honest with you? Um, most people say they are super healthy. But if you start looking at the <laughs> figures, um, you know, if you start looking at the figures, our average age at Crowd Health is 34. Okay. They, their BMI is about four points lower than the national average. Um, and so we've got, you know, and one of the reasons there is that, um, you know, if you're over 300 pounds, you know, that's the one of two uh, reasons why we would not accept you to the community. So if you're over 300 pounds, we will not accept you to the community. The cost of somebody over 300 pounds is like three to four X what it is somebody who is, you know, of average weight. Um, So that's one. And then two, if you are a long-term smoker, we will not allow you in the community if you're a long-term smoker. So those are the two kind of key things. You know, people ask about pre-existing conditions. Um, and so the way that we work with pre-existing conditions is like, hey, if you have a pre-existing condition, you are responsible for that, the cost of that in the first year. The community will share um, or fund 25000 of that in the second year, 50000 in the third year, and 100000 in the fourth year and beyond. So this is a little bit like, you know, if you're going to be a part of the community, then you have to, you know, take your fair share of, of expenses. You can't just come in with, you know, 
$100,000 a year health expense and, and assume everybody else is going to pay for it. Um, and so that's, that's one of the, the things, too, that just keeps our population a little bit healthier. How about organizations? Uh, do you work with organizations or will you work with organizations in their entirety or is it still on a person to person basis? Obviously, there's going to be the caveats like the, the 300 pound, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, would you work with an organization or would it have to be everyone within that organization comes to you as an individual? Yeah. So I guess both. One is we work with organizations and then the organization can, depending upon the size of the organization, if you're 50 people or more, there are some um, Affordable Care Act requirements and regulatory requirements there. Um, if you're under 50 people, it's a lot easier. And we have an ability for you to offer, um, you know, kind of a, a, a what's called a minimum essential coverage plan alongside what Crowd Health does. And so, you know, if, if you have an organization and are interested, I can kind of tell you within a 10 minute conversation whether we'd be a good fit for you. Sure. Are there any other questions that I haven't asked that, especially in the Bitcoin conversation, would be helpful to uncover and discuss a little bit? Or is that pretty much everything as far as the basics go? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the basics. Um, you know, right now what we're trying to do is is recruit about a thousand people to join um, because there's kind of a viable place financially to, to do this. And so um, we have several hundred who have already, wh- whoever, they've signed up already. Um, if you go to crowdhealthbtc.com, um, you have a, there's a sign-up form, uh, and it's just ask your name and, and your email and how many people in your family are interested. And once we get to 1,000, we're going to reach back out to those folks and say, hey, we're ready to roll. Um, and then at that point, you can decide whether or not this is something for you. But if you're interested in, in hearing more about this, yeah, crowdhealthbtc.com. Um, it'll give you a little bit of an overview of what we're doing and allow you to show some interest. And that jogs my memory on a question that I had thought about earlier. Is this for Bitcoiners only, or do you have an element of your business that doesn't have the Bitcoin savings plan? Yeah, so we've been running for a year now on the uh, just the fiat side. So we're going to continue that because it's working so well. Um, but we want a, you know, a, a, a secondary, what we're calling a crowd of just Bitcoiners. Um, so we, we will have two crowds, one who's a fiat and one is a Bitcoin. All the fiat will, sh- will, will fund within that fiat group. All the Bitcoiners will fund within their Bitcoin group. So it's, we're called crowd health. We, we're kind of calling it our, our second crowd that we're, we're building. So, um, and we're thinking about doing this for, you know, trainers and real estate agents and and a whole host of folks and, and have, you know, a half a dozen crowds who have an affinity for each other and hopefully, you know, change their behavior as such. So that's the, the long-term vision of the company. Well, I love what you shared today, Andy. Hopefully this will be something that helps people think differently about their own business, but also see the value in maybe working with crowd health. Where would people go? Maybe you've already shared one link, but any mm-hmm. other places, whether it's connecting with you or learning more about crowd health, if people are interested to learn more. Sure. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're all on, on all the social media platforms. So, um, you know, most of the Bitcoin folks engage with us on on Twitter. So it's join crowd health is our Twitter handle. Um, join crowdhealth.com is our main page. If you're interested in, in the fiat version or just learning more generally about what we're doing and how we're doing it, that's a great page to get some resources. Um, and then Instagram too, if you're over there, it's join crowd health. So, would love for y'all to, to join us. I think you'll you'll you know especially in the Instagram side find our account pretty pretty fun and a little bit different than your typical healthcare company. So we try to keep it light over here. But um, 
yeah, would love for anybody to, who's interested to, to join us. Andy, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, friends, it's a wrap. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Business Bitcoinization Show. If you want to reach out, our email is info at bizbitshow.com. Also, if you haven't done so yet, go ahead and scroll on down to the show notes. There you'll find ways to connect with me and our guest, as well as our excellent sponsors who can help you succeed in your life and in your business. Keep building, keep growing, and until next time, keep living and leading well. 